We're going to turn together in our Bibles to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, and we're turning to chapter 7, Romans and chapter 7, and we're going to commence to read, please, at the verse 18, Romans chapter 7 and the verse 18. Paul writing says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Turn with me now, please, to the book of Galatians. Now, the last time I was with you, I think it was at the conference, and I'm returning back to a text of Scripture that we looked at on that occasion. So if you turn with me to the book of Galatians, and chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, For I am crucified, or the proper context would be, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, or the faith, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen, and we know God will bless the public reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can come before your great throne of grace, and we thank you for your amazing mercy and love toward us. want to thank you, Lord, for the kindness demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ and in the mercies and wonders of God by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning, Lord, that thou would descend in power amongst us, that we would become more and more conscious of your divine presence. We pray that you would put a hedge around us, Lord, and cause that thy spirit and power would be released on our hearts and minds and spirits. Lord, I acknowledge that without you I can do nothing, And so afresh I give myself 
unreservedly into the hands of Jesus. I pray that you would cleanse me and sanctify me and fill me now with the Holy Spirit. I ask for the Holy Spirit to be poured forth. We welcome you, and we again, in Jesus' name, we put a hedge around about the perimeter of this building, and we pray a wall of fire and thy glory in the midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I became a Christian when I was 17, many, many years ago now. And after I became a Christian, I was not familiar with the book of Romans, but I certainly was familiar with huge problems after conversion. To put it simply, my life was one of failure with an occasional victory. What God intends for the life of the believer is a life of victory with an occasional defeat. (laughs) That's the practicalities of it. Is there victory for the believer? And if there is, what is it? What does it look like? What are the obstacles? As I said, when I got converted, I understood that I belonged to the Lord through repentance and faith in Christ, and so I knew the experience of the new birth, and I enjoyed those blessings of the early days of conversion, the honeymoon of knowing the Lord. But I then was to discover that there were things going on in my mind and heart that seemed to be a constant grievance to me a frustration to any real development spiritually. This is a common problem for the believer. And Paul really elaborated upon it when he spoke in Romans chapter 7. Paul stated that in verse 22 that he delighted in the law of God after the inward man. He longed within to do what God wanted. He wanted to keep the law of God. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to walk with God. He wanted to fellowship with God. But he said in verse 23, But despite my desires, I see another law in my members. And he said that law brings him under the captivity of sin. And in despair, he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I wonder if that rings any bells for you as a believer. I wonder, have you ever come to the place in your experience where, as a Christian, you have cried out like Paul, O wretched man or wretched woman that I am, who shall deliver me? After conversion and beginning more and more to experience the profound defeats and frustrations that I had personally, a sense of prayerlessness, impurity, failure, emptiness, a lack of concern for the lost, 
and a multitude of other problems and frustrations within me, I discovered a little book. And that little book was called From Defeat to Victory. It was written by the late Dr. Colin Peckham, who subsequently became my principal when I went to the Bible College in Edinburgh with the Faith Mission. That little book uh, elaborated on the fact that our life does not have to be a life of failure, but there is what we call victory. And that little book pointed out the testimony of different men and women and their experiences, men and women whose names would be familiar to many good Christian people, people who had outstanding ministries for the Lord. You see, friends, whenever we read uh, Romans, we discover this terrible position that Paul found himself in. But then when we come to the book of Galatians, we find that Paul is pointing out something that is significant in his life as he's referring back. Now, this is not theory for Paul. This is experimental. This is Paul's life. In chapter 2 and 20 of Galatians, he said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Most of us, when we became Christians, the thought very much in our mind was we have to change. We have to change. The behavior, the lifestyle, the responses, the attitudes, I have to change. But of course, that is wrong. That is wrong. That belief is very strong in the average believer, but it is wrong. It is unbiblical. You do not have to change. What you have to do is exchange. Paul did not say that I must change and improve and get better, Paul said, I have died. It is no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. He said there has been a great exchange in my life. Now, that's a fundamental truth to knowing the Lord and knowing his blessing and power in your life. And the reason that Paul was able to experimentally say that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Paul was able to say that because in Romans 7, he came to an experience where in despair he cried out, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me? Paul came to the end of himself. Some Christians come to the end of themselves relatively quickly because they don't have a strong will. But many Christians 
never come to the end of themselves. They are evangelical by name. They are involved in the evangelical church. They are theologically sound. But they are far from dead. Christ indwells them, but he does not live through them. And they have never, ever truly come to a place in private where they knelt before God with tears and a broken heart and cried out, O wretched man that I am, O wretched woman that I who shall deliver me? But rather the attitude is, I must change. And if I go to more meetings, and if I belong to a thoroughly evangelical church, that will be adequate. My friends, it is not remotely biblical. There is no change for the, Bible, for the believer. There is exchange. There is a death and the impartation of another life which the believer becomes aware of that that other life is now flowing through that body and through that intellect and through the emotions and through the soul. You see, whenever we get converted and Christ indwells us, it's still possible that lust can hold a strong, strong area in the life. Greed. The love of money. Lies. Stealing. Deception. Worldliness. An unbridled, gossiping tongue. Broken relationships never healed. Christians walking out of churches never been reconciled to their brothers and sisters and then coming to a new church and sitting at the Lord's table. Oh yes, you can do it, my friend, but you can't have the victory of the Lord. You say, Alan, well, what is the root of the problem that Paul talked about when he said about this, this longing to be free, this wretched man? Well, what he recognized and what he was pointing out was that although Christ comes to indwell us and we receive the Holy Spirit in his entirety, there is a problem in that what the Bible calls the self-life. That is the fallen nature, that, that life that wants its own way, that, that, that feeds the ungodly, that keeps the wicked man living on. That, that sin temperament and nature is still within, it is still present. And so very often the attitude is we've got to try and improve on this. We've got to try and kind of shunt this sin down a bit. And we've got to try and improve the, you know, the, the, the life a wee bit. And, and hopefully we can get to a place where we'll be able to fit into the evangelical scene. We can go to church and say that we're saved, but we have no desire to pray. We have no hunger to spend time alone with God. 
There's no real desire or interest in winning any for the, anybody for the lost. There's no burden there. And I'm not here to accuse anybody. I'm just pointing out. You see, if the other life, if the exchange doesn't take place, then the desire to win the lost it isn't there. I know that we know we need to. I was told that for years. And I knew I needed to, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. The inconsistencies of my own life gave me no desire to do it. I didn't have any desire to win the lost, for I had so many issues in my own life. If I was arguing with people and fighting and having a bad temper and a life full of lust, I'm not going to be doing a lot of evangelism. You see, I needed something beyond where I was. Some call it victory. But Paul doesn't describe it in terms of a thing. What Paul says, O wretched man, who shall deliver me? And the answer comes back, Jesus Christ. Victory is nothing more than Jesus Christ taking control of the life. It is Jesus coming in and taking possession of the vessel and then his desires, his longings, his heart, his prayers, his cries, his will, all been manifested through your yielded life. It's very simple, actually. Very simple. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul speaking of his pre-conversion days, he relates his testimony and he says to Timothy, he said, you know, before I was a believer, he said, I went about persecuting the church, but he said, God had mercy because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. He said, I was ignorant and I was unbelieving. Mark those two things. Ignorance, unbelief. The key to progress with God is truth and faith. Truth and faith, Paul pointed it out. And that actually is the principle, essentially, of the Christian, the life of the Christian. Truth and faith. You see, friends, that self-life that we mentioned earlier is so strong often, and as he says, everybody's different, but some Christians fold fairly quickly. They give up fairly quickly. They cry out like, Paul, I can't do it. It seems as though they have lost touch with the rest of the Christian community because the rest seem to be doing it okay. But internally, your cry is, I'm not making much of a show of this. And I don't even feel like going to the prayer meeting for I feel such a hypocrite. Let me point out, whenever you least feel like going, that's when you most need to go. I feel my life is so inconsistent, but in my heart, I would love to be what God wants me to be. I would love to know the Lord better. I'm not habitually in rebellion because I want to be, 
But like Paul, I'm in this vortex of wickedness and sin nature, and essentially the self-life has not been broken. W.P. Nicholson, those of you who are familiar with the old-aged evangelist, he used to mockingly speak to the church. And he used to say, well, in the church today, he said, you get saved, you read your Bible, you say your prayers, and you rub your nose. In other words, the belief is that once you get converted, everything's solved. My dear friend, to use the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English preacher and Mr. Valiant for the Evangelical Church, Martin Lloyd-Jones said at the end of his ministry, he said, if we get everything at conversion, why in God's name is the church in the way that it is? I agree with him. There is something fundamentally, not minor, fundamentally wrong with the church. And that is the church is attempting, even by the best of theological preaching, to encourage men to grow and to become sanctified over time. But Paul says, no. Paul said, while sanctification is a process that happens from conversion, he said there comes a point when it is no longer any change, but there comes an ex-change. When I die and when Christ takes over. And Paul knew that had happened in his life. Could I ask you, do you know if that has happened in your life? Well, Paul talked about this exchange. Then in Galatians chapter 6 and 14, I want you to see, I'm trying to take a few thoughts from the heart of Paul. And in chapter 6 and 14, Paul speaks again to the same church, and this is what he says. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Profound words. Profound words. Carrying on the same truth that he has conveyed in chapter 2 when he said there was an exchange and Paul's now alive and he said the old Paul's dead. And for this reason, at the latter part, he said, I'm a joyful, rejoicing, praising man. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm praising God for in my life as an apostle through all the persecutions that come and all the attacks of the enemy. He said, this is what I'm rejoicing in, in what happened at the cross. He said, I'm rejoicing that my sins were forgiven. But more than that, he said, the key to the victory that I found in Romans chapter 8, he said, what I'm rejoicing in is that I received the exchanged life, Christ living through me. My victories were all Christ's victories. But Paul said it didn't happen by chance. He said, I made choices in my life. And he said, Christ has come and taken possession. And for that reason, to the end of his life, he said, I'm always glorying in the cross. 
I'm always rejoicing in the cross because of what Jesus has done for me, not only by his death, but his resurrection, and then his life living through my yielded life. Paul said, that's how I ransacked the devil's power. That's how I broke down the demonic kingdom. That's how I cast the spirits out of the young damsel. That's how he said, I brought victory, blessing, and transformation to every region where I went and churches were founded. He said, it was not Paul, it was Christ living in me. My friends, the protocol for the fullness of the Spirit has not changed. It hasn't changed. You and I must take the same route as the Apostle Paul. The provision. He said, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. What an option. What an option. I want you to think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ, living, thinking, speaking, striving, encouraging, rebuking me. His life. My friend, the vastness of that truth that Christ can live in me. One of the things that happened to me after I began to seek the Lord and I really did get to the place, so wretched man, and I'm glad that I've stayed there, Because I recognize, and I've said it many times, and I don't say it lightly, but I mean it. I'm a thoroughbred failure. I'm a hundred percent failure. I couldn't be a better failure as a Christian than I am. Couldn't, it's not possible. I'm the best failure you ever met. I'm the biggest disaster in trying to keep the Christian life. I've given up. I have given up. I can't do it. I came to a place in my life many years ago where I said, God, I can't live this life. What you're asking in the Word for me to pray and to live, and I just can't do it, and I give up. And God said, (laughs) round of applause. Heaven, give me a round of applause. You've got it. You've caught it. The truth that God needed to get into your heart, it's dawned on you. You're a failure. You can't live the life. You haven't got the power. You haven't got the capabilities. You haven't got the strength. You haven't got the resources. You haven't got the reserve. Oh, it's a wonderful day. Heaven heaven is delighted when you come out and say, I'm beat. And there's you trying desperately to live so much better. And trying to change and incrementally, moment by moment, try and get a victory. You see, my dear friends, not only does God want us to get to the place where I cannot achieve victory, which is one big thing to get to, to get to that place, I can't do this. This life's beyond me. But the second one is equally as important, is that I'm not going to attempt it either. I'm not going to try to live this life. I'm not going to try to be holy 
by my own strength. I'm not going to try to be an evangelical or born again. I, I'm, I'm giving up. And I'm going to get the exchange. I'm giving up the old altogether so that the new can come. A little boy, I've told you this before, a little boy on one occasion, he was in the church and the pastor was talking about Jesus living inside you. The little boy came to the pastor at the end. He said, can I talk to you? Yes. He said, you said if Jesus comes in, he, he'll, he'll fill you. He said, that's right. He says, well, I'm very small. He says, if Jesus comes to live inside me, he'll be sticking out everywhere all over me. The pastor said, that's exactly what will happen. If Jesus comes to live inside you, he'll be sticking out all over you. And what will happen is that when people meet you, they'll see Jesus sticking out of you. That's what will happen. Don't try to make it happen. Don't try to get so holy that you're going to be really good. And No, don't, don't give up on that. No, no, you've got to let him come in. You've got to let him come in. Let him take over. Whenever we get converted, the Bible says that we have received an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. A man on one occasion received a beautiful inheritance. It was a picture from his father. When he got the inheritance, he put it up on the wall. But it didn't look right because the furniture being as it was, it just didn't fit in right. So he tried this, that, and the other and couldn't get it to look right. And eventually he stripped the room, took everything out. Then he brought the picture in. He set it central exactly where it was and where he wanted in the center of the room. And then he arranged everything around it and set everything around it just... And when everybody come in, they all notice, wow, what a beautiful picture. This is a very different room. Look at the picture. People didn't see the furniture anymore. People saw the picture. And Paul said, that's the way it is for me. He said, when Christ took over, he said, everybody sees the inheritance. They all see Christ. I'm sure like me, you have on the journey met people and they exhibit Christ. I'm sure you've met them. I have met them. They were part of the reason that made me give up on my life because I met people and I knew they had something I didn't have and nobody could have argued, nobody could have debated me and people did and they said, Alan, no, no, whenever you got converted and my minister told me this and our denomination teaches this and, and I got all that. I got all that. But inside my heart, my heart said, no, no. You can be good at theology, my dear friends, but Christ may not be living through you. You may be a preacher of the gospel and your self-life be very much intact that you're still you and you like the opportunity, whether in ministry or whatever, you can be self-enthroned, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-conceited, self-confident, self-exalted, self-important. Self, my friend, can go on and on. And very often you see it very much in the church. <laughs> Man says you never know what's in an orange, do you squeeze it? And you never know what's in a Christian, do you squeeze them? 
And my friends, sometimes you can get a big, big shock. Wonder, does it ever shock you what happens when you're squeezed? Well, Paul said the provision was there in the life of Christ. He said, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. You know, friends, whenever the children of Israel were crossing the Jordan, and as they were passing over and going toward it, the Lord told them to do something, and it was so simple. I want you to get this now. It was so simple. The Lord said, I don't want, I don't want any big trying or any big attempts or any big religious paraphernalia. Don't want any of that nonsense. God says, this is what I want you to do. God spoke to them. He says, I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant on the priest. And I want you to follow them in a line, keep back a distance, and then just walk to the water. I mean, like logic, not a lot. Not a lot of logic there. Simple, of course. You, you, you believe that God has asked so many things of you, you couldn't get to where God wants. It's so difficult. It's so hard to go forward. No, it's not. No, it's not. God says, you've heard my word. Just do what I said. Just walk forward. And they walk forward. And when they get their feet into the water, and they let their reason, as it were, or their rationale lay aside to say, we're walking into water, boys. We, you know, we could go in under here. But laying that aside in simple trust that God knew what he was doing and God knew what he was saying to them, that they walked in and guess what? The water's open. And they walked through and do you think when they got to the other side, they, they said, oh, it's, look what we've done. Boy, we walked through there. Oh. And the priests, they all got a round of applause for the way they walked. And boy, wasn't it, weren't we fantastic there? Do you think that crossed the mind of any of those people when they got to the other side? I guarantee you not one of them. I'll tell you what they all said. Did you see what God did? Did you experience what God was doing when we were obeying him by simple faith? And we went in there. We didn't have anything hard to do. We just heard his word and believed his word. And look what he did. My dear friends, you think that God's work is dependent on your work. That God can only work to the measure that you work. I want to tell you that that reasoning is wrong. I want to tell you that whenever you take acts of faith, God does amazing things. I still haven't got over what happened to me almost 40 years ago when a sinner sitting in a tent campaign, I bowed my head and I said this to God, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent for my sin. And by an act of simple childlike faith, I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. I still can't understand it. My friends, my Bible tells me that I was taken in the spirit world out of a kingdom of darkness. And I was translated into a kingdom of light. Something big happened in the spirit world. Angels went extinct 
ecstatic with joy. They were delirious with joy because I had come to the Lord. What did I do? I repented in simple faith and simply prayed, Lord Jesus, save me. God did something wonderful. You see, my dear friends, it's not about us. It's about Christ living. It's about his life. That's why when we have the exchange, we can get excited because there's no telling what Christ can do through our yielded life. Very quickly, not only is there the provision that Christ liveth, but there's the crucifixion where he said, it is no longer I that liveth. You see, friends, Paul gave up. He said, I can't achieve victory, Romans 7. I can't do it. And then he said, I won't even attempt it. And that's where I call some of you to, don't attempt it. Stop attempting. You've done it for years now, and you're not one hair better than you were 20 years ago. You say, well, you'll grow into it. You'll grow into this great place with God. Well, what has the growing in the last 10 years done for you? How much further on are you burdened for the lost? How much greater burden have you for prayer? Mm Mm-hmm. You see, my dear friends, you can't work your way using your self-life to change yourself. There comes a moment in the life of the believer when there's an exchange. There's an exchange. And if that exchange does not take place, then you will stay in those spiritual doldrums the rest of your life. And you will be nothing more than a mere spectator of the evangelical scene, and you will be typically Northern Irish. You will pass your opinion on how good or bad the players are. And you will point out all the feelings of everybody else where they have failed because you are a master on spiritual truth. You are a master on the things of God. You are a master in the place of prayer. You are a master in the will of God. And so you can pass your comment and you can come out and say as you wish because you know all these things. But the reality is you don't know. You don't know. It's just that you've heard all the sermons and you've got all the information, but the heart is not moved. The heart is not changed. And until this exchange takes place, you will continue until your death where you are. My friends, I heard something many years ago and it never left me by the late Leonard Ravenhill. You are as spiritual as you want to be. You have as much of God in your life as you choose to have. But you see, your self-life has presently too many demands The world calls you so much and its ways and its government and its cultures and its political opinions and all those things all have mastery in your life. 
But the exchange has never taken place. Paul said, I am in a place where it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. What happened in the life of Paul as we come toward the end? Paul came to a place in his experience where he said in Romans 12, I beseech you, because of God's goodness and mercy and kindness and love, I beseech you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A little girl on one occasion had heard the word of God regarding following Jesus and giving her life to him. And she was so moved by what she heard that they brought a collection plate round. And when they brought the plate round, it was passing and people were putting in their money. And the little girl said, can you put the plate on the ground? They were a little uh, taken with this desire, but nevertheless, someone set it down and the little girl stood in the plate. She said, I'll give myself. Jesus wants you to stand on the plate. It means letting go of your own life. It means letting go of self. It's... Bible calls it death. But the wonderful thing about Jesus was when he died three days later, he rose again. And once you choose to die and you enter into death with Christ, my friends, then, thank God, there's resurrection power. Resurrection. The life of the Spirit. And so God calls you and I to be willing to give ourselves to him. You say, Alan, that... The thought of that is so frightening to me. To give myself completely to God. I mean, I, I have given him my sins, and I'm glad to do that. My friends, God doesn't collect your sins. God's not looking at your sins like a stamp book and saying, I'm collecting these. God doesn't want your filthy sins. And he doesn't want mine either. He had to get rid of them in order to get you. He wants you. He wants me. That's what he wants. And the Bible tells us that whenever Paul's writing, he said, I have died. And came a point in Paul's life when he gave up that old life. And you say, well, Alan, I couldn't do that. It would be so hard to let go. And it's like the story of the man who was on a rope. And he was traveling down into a deep well. And as he traveled further and further down on the rope... He realized that he wasn't touching the bottom. And he got concerned the further he went on the rope that that he wasn't going to get to the bottom. He had no idea the depth that there would be. And eventually as he traveled down, he realized that he had gone so far that he was at the end of the rope. And he began to struggle and sweat. He realized he didn't have the strength to get back up again. But oh, he was concerned about where this would lead to. Would it be a hundred feet? Would he fall to his death? And he clung in pain onto that rope the best he could. And hoped and prayed and trusted all would be well. But he wouldn't let go until eventually he was beaten. Eventually he was exhausted. 
Eventually, all his strength was gone, and he just let go. And he fell three inches. Letting go to God. Giving your life to Christ. Giving your future and your ambitions and your dreams and your money and every relationship and giving it all to God and keeping it there and abandoning it. My dear friend, it's just like the rope. You hang on the best you can. What will happen? What will happen? What will happen? My friend, you'll drop three inches into the hands of God. That's what will happen. You'll just fall into the hands of God. And there'll be no more sweating and no more wrestling and no more arguing with your rope, but you'll just be at rest when you let go. When you let go. Whenever you give everything to God, God will take it. When you give it, God will take it. You say, Alan, that's a big step. Sure is. But the Bible says it's our reasonable service. He gave everything. He held nothing back. But you say, if I give everything to him, is that it? If I let go of that life, if I, if I yield that to God, is that it? No, because I have met people who have earnestly, sincerely given everything to God and they have not got into victory. They have not known the life of Christ. You know why? Because Paul gives us the secret in Galatians 2.20. He said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he said, I do live, but it's not me. It's Christ living in me. And he said, the life which I am now living, that is Christ living through me, the life I'm now living, I live by faith. <laughs> oh, my friend, you see, the giving up and the letting go of yourself to God, that's the negative aspect. That's the emptying of the glass. That's our part, permitting God to take and choosing to, to relinquish everything to him. That's our part. Ah, but then Paul said, I live by faith. I live by faith. One could give oneself away a thousand times and never a victory, but there must come a point of faith where whenever I let go to God, when I give everything to him, I lay hold on his promises. Just as they came to the Jordan and they believed his promise and moved in his promise and then the miracle happened, my friend. So the life of God comes in. Faith is simply divine persuasion. That's what it means. Faith is not something you can produce, you can believe. Everybody has the ability to believe, but not everybody has faith. Faith is given by God. It's given by God. And so God says in his word, he said, this is what I have for all my people, that he said, I have taken their sin and their self-life, and that was born on the cross. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. He said, when Christ died, that self-life died as well. You say, I can't understand that, Alan. No, no more than an ungodly man can understand that when he comes to Christ by an act of faith, that he can be forgiven by an act that occurred 2,000 years ago. In the same way that an unconverted man can't grasp the gospel, so the Christian finds it impossible to grasp that their life was hidden and dealt with the self-life on the cross. But that's what the Bible says. 
Say, well, well, that's what the Bible says, but this is my experience. My experience is failure. I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. I'm going to meetings my best. I'm doing all my best. And God says, I don't want you to do your best. I'm tired of your best. I'm tired of your working. I'm tired of your striving. I'm tired of your religious paraphernalia. Because my spirit and my life is not flowing through you. Therefore, very often there is very little of God in it all. But Paul was aware of a power. (laughs) He was aware of a power. He was aware of a life that was flowing through him. He was aware of it. And my friends, let me tell you as I close, there's no greater joy in this life than to be in situations whenever you know, you know that Christ is speaking through me. That Christ is living through me. That Christ is praying through me. I remember for many years, and with this I'm drawing to a close. For many years as a Christian, I was told I needed to pray. And boy, I would try my best. But boy, did I get bored at it. It didn't take much to get me away from the praying. I tried, but boy, I wasn't making much of it. And God began to teach me through defeat. That you've got to transfer all to him. You've got to let go. And that was a painful journey. But thank God he got me there where I said, Lord, I'm fed up. I'm giving up. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. And I gave up. And then by simple faith, I asked the Lord, Lord, would you come? Would you come, Lord, and live this life through me? Because I don't know how to live it. And something happened. Something happened. But one of the things that happened which was most profound, in which I was so aware that God was doing something that I couldn't do, was I would get this unusual desire to pray. And I knew that it wasn't me because after all I had worked with me long enough and I knew what me was like. And I can remember sometimes out on the tractor on the farm And this tremendous burden, that's the only way I could, this burden would come upon me. And I would turn the tractor off and I would run to where there was an old porter cabin on the farm and I would run in and close the door and get down on my knees and I knew, I knew that something was going to happen. I knew that something supernatural was going to occur. I knew that this burden wasn't normal. It wasn't anything relating to me. And I would begin to pray, and I would pray for Ireland, and I would pray for Britain, and God always brought those two countries as it were before me. And as I could look at them, I seemed to see all those people dying and going to hell. I couldn't describe what I sensed and felt as I looked on that image in my mind. And I would almost go into convulsions, weeping. And I couldn't stop weeping. And I couldn't stop crying. And I would sob and sob and sob for hours. I didn't realize that it was a burden from the Lord. It took me a long time to understand that all was happening was I had let Jesus come in and take possession. And when he got possession, his burden began to flow into my yielded life. 
And his tears began to fill my tears. And his thoughts began to fill my thoughts. And his hungers for the lost began to fill my hungers. And I realized there is something has happened. And I'm learning more and more that I have to live by faith. That every day of my life I'm trusting simply that Jesus will live his life through me. And as I stated at the beginning and now conclude, the life of the average Christian is one of failure with an occasional victory. But the life of a spirit-filled Christian, a Christian that has Christ's life flowing through, is a life of victory with an occasional defeat. My friends, I'm here to encourage you to take hold of God's promises. I'm here to encourage you to come to God and be honest with him. I'm here to talk to you to say, it's maybe time, husband and wife, you sat down and prayed. It's maybe time you began to talk to each other and say, listen, we're nowhere. We've been going to an evangelical church and we've been doing this stuff all our lives and we're nowhere. And if we don't get our act together and we don't begin to seek God earnestly and we don't get spirit filled and bring the presence and power of God into our lives, we will lose our children. Our children's souls will be lost. Our children, the devil, will get his hand on them for we have not held on for them. We have not prayed for them. We have not lived as we should. We have showed them how to make money. We have showed them the gods that are in their life, but it's not the God of heaven. They have saw and heard things that would put any person off salvation. And yet you expect them to have interest in your Jesus. Let me conclude. Many years ago in South Africa, an evangelist was preaching. He made an appeal and in the meeting there was an old man He had been a Christian many years, but like what I've mentioned, he didn't really have much hunger for God or the things of God. Oh, yes, he was in the meetings and even prayer meetings, but there was nothing much there. He hadn't lived a consistent life. He wasn't always honest. He wasn't always pleasant. Then there was a little black lady who was a maid in the local house, The little maid had lived a spirit-filled life. Oh, she had radiated Jesus throughout her life. And the master of the house, who knew both of them, was sitting under conviction of sin. The preacher made the appeal, would you come to Jesus? Come to Jesus. The man whose life was not always what it should have been, He turned round to the man and he said, will you come to my Jesus? The man looked at him and thought, no. No, I wouldn't come to your Jesus. The old lady, the little black lady turned round and she smiled and she said, would you come to my Jesus? 
He said, yes. I'll come to your Jesus. <laughs> Would he come to your Jesus? <laughs> oh, my dear people. Give up and let God. Give up and let God have his way. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious word. And we pray that the truth of your word will permeate into lives and souls. And we ask that individuals will do business with God in their hearts. And that, Lord, as a result, someone or someones in this place will become married to the will of God. And, Lord, that this meeting and this church will become a very important place and an anchor to their soul where they said this is where God met me. This is where my destiny was transformed. This is where the miraculous happened. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.